Welcome to Nickel City Chronicles Young American Dialogue. I'm here with my guest, Juan, Pastor Juan Rivera. Yeah, And um, we known each other since sixth grade, I believe, since Kenmore Middle School. Yeah. And uh, after high school, we both went, whoop, and now we speak again. And I see you a little quite often now. And, um, dude, the first time I saw you, you were singing to in front of a church and it blew me away, dude. <laughs> blew me away. I don't know where you learned how to sing from. It was like it was like Elton John level singing, dude. It was You're wild. <laughs> El- yeah, that's... El- Elton Juan. Elton Juan. <laughs> no, but yeah, dude, it was blew me away. It was phenomenal. Uh, to be compared to a, a master like that, yeah. No, seriously, Why you not? are you are great. <laughs> you are great at singing. That's uh, that's a fact. Like I'll I'll I'm gonna drop a link to one of your videos in no, the, in don't, this... don't do that. All right, fine. <laughs> but yeah, if anyone wants to go find him, he's out there. <laughs> And uh, it was it was great, man. Like I I enjoyed it, and I watched you from my house too when you were doing a live stream too. It was I was tuned in. Um, well, let's just start it off. Give us a little backstory about yourself, how you became a pastor, where you grew up, and all that, and sort of just give a little rundown. You know, it doesn't right. have to be long. Well, born and raised in Buffalo, New York, and uh, I'm a third generation pastor. Nice. My grandfather was bishop of the council we were in we're in right now, and um. He was pastor for God knows how many years, 50, 60 years. My father was pastor for 20 years, and I took over this church that we started when I was 10 years old, and I took it over in 2017, and I've been the senior pastor ever since. Nice, nice. What kind of church is it? Uh, we don't really put labels on it too gotcha. much, but um, I guess we would be considered a Spanish Pentecostal church. Yeah. No, you know, I hear you hear that a lot where you don't want the labels. I, I get that because... That's not what it's all about, you know. Well, a lot of people see like the labels of different churches and they've had bad experiences or they heard bad things or right. have heard different things and and uh the labels sometimes hurt yeah the church. Yeah, and that's that's, I, that's also why I kind of wanted to bring you on is because right now in the world, I mean, we're seeing people turn their backs from Christianity. The thing that made the West what it is. It really is like yeah, of it is the backbone of Western philosophy is Christianity, even Judeo Christianity. Even if you look at the Declaration of Independence, yes. it has so many references to the Scriptures. You a- know, absolutely, our, our country was basically founded on biblical principle. Absolutely, you know they came over here with their Bibles and and they had respect for other religions as well. That's why they made it secular and they made it made sure the First Amendment protected everybody. But at the end of the day, we are Judeo Christian valued. It's in our it's deep. Deep, deep in our psyche, oh, yeah. whether roots. you like it or not, it is it is who we are. Like, yes. So, you know, even like the great philosophers who aren't Christians always had a deep respect for a Christian thought. And Isaac Newton, yes. the, one of the one of the founding uh, people of physics, modern physics that's still used and taught yeah. today, was a deep Christian. Yes. He wrote about the Bible more than anything else. I mean, he is the one who invented uh, Newton's uh, law of physics. Yeah, all the laws of physics. Yeah. So the, he's talking about science and religion not not having anything in common. Well, and it, it's look, something look, that look deeper. <laughs> prior to to Newton, who was basically the first very public person about it. Um, yeah. Religion didn't want science. Yes. And then you have people like Isaac Newton, or today there's a, a guy named Ken Ham who runs the uh, the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum who basically mend science and religion together and show how they coincide. They And they do. And there's so many examples of why they do. Isaac Newton was was good at articulating that 
we don't have to be as scared of discovering what's out there in the in the plant. Like we don't have to, we we should not be afraid of these things. Our 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 faith comes first, no matter what. Yeah, Everything course. else can fall in, and and we can fill in the gaps with it because we're really just discovering yes. the physical nature of things. We're not. You know, there's more. There's, I mean, whatever. How, if you believe in the Big Bang or whatever it is, like it all came from something. Even and that's the one question that no one has the answer to. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, even even there was some uh, Jewish scientist that said you can say that the Big Bang started everything, which is possible. But what was the Big Bang? It was the first chapter of Genesis, where it's also a vibration, where he said, "Let there be light." And yeah, boom, everything started. According to quantum physics, the Big yeah. Bang was a vibration, was a sound wave, one big sound wave sparked off everything, all the matter that we see. What is a sound wave? A voice. Exactly. A word. Yeah. And that's what it says. Who has the biggest voice. So it's, to this day, <laughs> Genesis still, still, still stands. Still stands, man. Yep. And a lot of those things blow my mind. Like, I was, you know, I went down some rabbit holes years ago. And, uh, yeah, we all do that. Yeah, we do that. And, and I encourage people to do that because you, you might find some interesting stuff. I'll give you an example. I'm going to play the clip while I'm talking about it. Torah is just a long string of numbers. Some say that it's a code. Sent to us from God. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's just kid stuff. Check this out, okay? The word for the Garden of Eden, Kadem. Numerical translation, 144. Now, the value of tree of knowledge, all right, in the garden, right? Eitz Hachayim, 233. 144, 233. Now, you can those take those numbers. numbers. So, the, you know, like the Fibonacci sequence? Fibonacci. Fibonacci's, um an Italian mathematician in the 13th century. If you divide 144 into 233, the result approaches um, theta. Theta? Theta. The Greek symbol for the golden ratio, the golden spiral. And this, wow. this equation that was discovered by a, a, a medieval mathematician in Italy, so just to give you some context, this mathematician is in the medieval times the bible writ was written in what well i mean let's say let's say like the we don't, it, we don't know when exactly genesis got written by moses but we do yeah. know that uh well we know that 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 from the beginning of the word to the end of the word there was roughly a 1400 year period 1500 year period so if we say that the last scripture was written in let's say 50 ad yeah so let's say roughly two thousand years before that Moses wrote the right. wrote it. So that's still another still another thirteen hundred years to go before this um before this constant that's called the golden ratio was discovered by Italian mathematician named Fibonacci. So we're no matter no matter how you cut cut it up, this yeah. is we're talking about something before. And let me just get no, let me tell you what it is now. So in the Hebrew Masoretic text, the the original Old Testament that was written in the original Aramaic Hebrew language. Yes. They have a word for Garden of Eden. It's known as Gan Adan, and they have a and, and in Hebrew, uh, they're, they're, the way their math is set up is called gematria, and every letter is equal to a number. Well, make a long story short, the Garden of Eden, if you divide it by the the, the word for the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's two sixty six, no one sixty six divided by two thirty three, and the answer is. 1.618 which is the golden ratio it's like twice it's like a it's like half a pie basically it's a it's a constant that it's sh i'm showing it right now as, we, as i speak it's a constant in the universe our galaxy the a baby fetus 
the 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 ways our the way our brains are formed, our arms, the ratio from our fingers to our yeah. arms, that's golden ratio. Literally everything is all life, plants, animals, fungus, whatever it is, has the golden ratio somewhere embedded within it. So we're talking about a mathematical constant exactly. There's no it's not like it's off by a little bit. It's exactly the number. Yeah. Found in the oldest first book, first chapter of the Bible. That blew my mind when I found that out. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that, too. It's just Yeah, there's stuff all over the scripture that, that science can prove is true, and there's things that even historians and scientists use the Bible to prove their theories. Right. So Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, like, what fascinates me now is that now we live in a time where Christianity is so divided up into these, these different churches, different, different philosophies, um, you got the born agains, you got the Catholics, you got the Pentecostal church, you got all these different churches. And what fascinates me is there it only there only is one way to, to run a church, right? Yes. And the the issue is um you can break it down really into two groups. There's the the Catholic and Protestant. Right. Those are the two main groups, right? That's the two groups. There's uh everything that's not Catholic is considered Protestant. Got you. It's a, a protest to Catholicism, right? Which Martin was Luther started was, by Martin Luther yes. with you know nailing the ninety five thesis on the wall of the right. cathedral yep. in Germany, yep. where he was said these are ninety five reasons why the Catholic Church is wrong. Yep, and, and including uh, the the number of books that were in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, they had all these extra apocryphal books, and Martin Luther was like, "We got to take those out. That's not that's not yeah. divinely inspired, right there." Exactly, and you know, and people want to talk about the apocryphas. Uh, when I when I tell people about them, I tell them you can take them as a historical context. You can read them as, you know, of course, as, as a support of so you can understand what's happening in the time. It's good literature. It's yeah, it's, but it's not a divinely inspired scripture right. that that is going to take you to a, a path of right uh, biblical enlightenment. Got gotcha. you. Yeah, and um, so yeah, Martin Luther sparked off this revolution, and it yeah. literally took off, and now we're seeing the results of that. And it's funny because Martin Luther King himself, uh, the yep. 60s revolutionary uh, civil rights activist, yep. was a Protestant Christian. He was also a Republican, too. Yeah, he was a, he was a Protestant Christian. And uh, so what we see is we see um, all these religions stem from the Protestant. It's uh, like Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal, uh, Pentecostal religion was actually started in like the early 1900s, like I, th- I think 1906. Right. And evangelicals, it, Baptists. It, it was co- it came from a, a break off of the Lutheran Church. Right. So you know that there's everything is basically goes to one point in time, which was Martin Luther saying something's wrong here. Right. And the issue back in the what was it 1500s when he was alive was that everything was written in Latin. Right. And nobody knew Latin except the monks. Right. So the monks were reading it, and Martin Luther was a monk. Gotcha. And he was like, uh, something's wrong here. Right. And we're not that, doing these things. Yeah, he's like, uh, you guys are asking for stuff that's not in here, and we're not doing the stuff that is in here, so we need to change this. What's let's, what's, cup, what's one example, maybe? like Indulgences. <laughs> they they were selling tickets to... to <laughs> 
to heaven, basically. They were, if you pay enough money, we'll take your father out of hell and put him into purgatory. He, he won't make it to heaven, but at least he's not burning. You Just know? give us enough gold and we'll do yeah, it for you. We'll make sure you put in a good word for you. You know, we got that. We got that uh, direct line in our in our Vatican office, exactly, right to God. Exactly, and then you got like they they broke off from from the saints and stuff like that because, you know, I was speaking to uh, somebody uh, who was a teacher of uh, the Catholic religion, and he was like, you know, saints, we pray to saints for this or that reason, and they boost our prayer before God, and and my thought is like, you know, what? Why do you need a boost? You know. Why would you pray to somebody when you can pray to the person who can right. change everything? Dude, yep. You know, so so you're you're adding a middleman when God himself is telling you to come to me. Right. That's that's so deep what you just said. Like you have to have that personal relationship. Yep. That's all no he wants. No middleman. That's all he wants. From the beginning of time, uh from from Adam and Eve where Eve, you know, Made that little fruit salad and got Adam to eat whatever whatever she <laughs> ate so that she wasn't the only one in fruit trouble, salad. you know. So, <laughs> but um, since the beginning of time, all we see in Scripture is God trying to repair the line that was broken in the third chapter of Genesis. Right. That's the whole Scripture from beginning to end is God repairing that line. Wow, that's pretty deep. Like it's like a, it's like a love that it's. Tough love, but it's like a necessary, like, yeah, I made you and this is what I want. Yep. And it's like, here, here's a path for you. It's laid out. Take it or leave it. Yeah. You have the choice. I'm giving you free will for your lifetime. Exactly. And it's it, a deep and, concept. You know, everybody has this thing like, well, I don't want to go to hell. Well, it's your choice. You know, it's all your choice. God, God wants the best for you, but he, all he can do is put it in front of your face. Yeah. If you don't take it, whose fault is that? Yeah. That's interesting too. Is like um and the you know, even even if you say you don't believe, say you think this is all just a bunch of hocus pocus, whatever, you know, it doesn't make sense. You know, I I haven't seen it with my own eyes, so I won't believe it until I see it. Fine. There's a but, lot of things I haven't seen that, that I know is real. Yeah, yeah. And and it, and but and, and regardless of what you think, it's like everyone has a right to believe that, it's fine. But, but but look at the principles, the spiritual principles behind these stories and the these uh these epistles. It's like teaching people how to love, how to have honesty, how to persevere. <laughs> Things we don't really find in the church, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, yes. Like like you said, like like Martin Luther was looking around, like where's all these principles that I'm yeah. reading? Where I'm not seeing people giving back to the poor. I'm seeing them take the money and put it in the Vatican, and you know what I'm saying. And, Build some more fountains in Rome. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, like, the first church, we call it the apostolic church or the primitive church, and um, we find that in the book of Acts. Right. And these people, all the people who were converting to Christianity were bringing, donating a bunch of stuff, and they didn't keep it. Right. It went out to the widows. It went out to the orphanage. That's what the point is. Yeah, it was helping people to make sure everybody ate. And people are like, well, this is communism and they use it for like right for for a basis of socialism and communism and and no this was a voluntary right god never it's said, not about politics yeah, he never said you know give to me god said you know there's a need and people started volunteering and coming up and saying i'm going to help fulfill that need and and this is this was the basis of the church this is where it started uh the basis of the church is 
number one, spreading the gospel, and number two, helping one another. Right. And I mean, if you look at mo most of the miracles in the New Testament, it was helping some poor, sick person yeah. stand or, or blind see. It's about helping people that need help. Yeah, I mean, you he, should be able to take. That's so much to learn from those Jesus, things. Jesus himself, and if you look in the, uh, what is it, the Gospels, the, the first four books of the, of the New Testament, we see Jesus going places where nobody wanted to go. Right. Helping people that nobody wanted to help. The Samarian woman. She was, oh, don't talk to them. Yeah. Like, you, don't talk to, they never talked to them because they never crossed that path. Because right. they avoided them. Yeah. Because they were a mixed race. Right. But Jesus went right up in there and was like, I'm going to, not only am I going to talk to them, I'm going to talk to a woman. Right. Which was mind-blowing in but that But back time. then it was like, no, you don't do that. Yeah. And you know what? You know what's uh, the reason why I brought things up is like the first time I, I went to your church, I was blown away by the first thing I see is you got these you got these little stations where people could donate clothes right there, right in front of the church. <laughs> then you got you do I'm looking at pa paperwork and bulletins, can drive, uh, giving to the poor. We're doing this uh, this little event. We're gonna raise money for poor. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Because I've been to listen for the last year and a half. I've been to a bunch of churches, helped doing podcasts and helped doing their live streams and attending them. And I saw none of that. I saw this is our family business. This is how these these Baptist. I'm not I'm not knocking the Baptist churches are, are out but there. It's what you or the evangelical. I'm telling, just telling you my own experience. I'm sure yeah. there's great churches out there. Of course. I'm sure I'm misrepresenting half <laughs> more than half the Christians out there. But I'm telling you what I saw was people donating them, taking the money and keeping it and. I didn't. I don't remember in the whole year. I remember seeing not one can drive, not one. We're giving uh, we're giving uh, clothes to the, to the needy. But Nothing. How, how many pastors do you see driving around in Cadillacs? Yeah, multiple cars, <laughs> houses, buildings, and they, you know, they, all these pastors got you know they can come and live in each other. And I'm not saying it's it's wrong for people to have. I'm saying it's wrong for people to live off of other people when they're, yeah. And yo, and, and and so that that brings me to my next point. It's like you have you have a privately owned church. Great, you deserve to pay your bills and to live a decent life. You're a pastor. You're given the word. You deserve to be high up, high standard, and, and people should stand up when you walk in the room, like a like a, like a president or something. You should, you deserve to be put up a little bit, but at the same time, do something for the poor. Like give something back. You know what I'm saying? And that's all. That's all I'm saying. Like I'm not saying that. You should be like living on the street if you want to. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not even a pastor, so who am I to, to judge that much? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, so, from in our church from day one, uh, when, when my father started the church, my father and my mother, um, 1999 Easter Sunday. Uh, since that day, we were giving every Sunday service a free meal to whoever showed up. Right. And then when I took over in 2017, we started giving out every Tuesday and Thursday, a hot meal to whoever would come from four to six. We're still doing that. That's cool. So even in this past three and a half years that we've been doing it, we've served, I don't know, 12, 13,000 meals. Yeah. And we've given away clothes. People come from Puerto Rico with shorts and t-shirt, you know, not expecting Buffalo weather. So you yeah. know, we have coats, we have clothes for them. And, and the thing is a lot of churches aren't doing it. But not all churches aren't doing it for the right re for the same reason. Right. Just some, to show. Look, look what I'm doing. Some churches do it because they want to show off. Right. For show. Some churches don't do it because they don't have the ability to do it. 
That's true too. And you know what? And a lot of a lot of a lot a lot of the pastors that don't want to give back or or, or like they're <laughs> I already know what they're gonna say. Their rebuttal to this whole thing is it's not about works, it's about faith. It's not about works. It's like hmm. it's like, hold on a second, what did what did James write? James, I think he wrote a whole chapter on it. And <laughs> let's he, get into that and, a little bit. And he said that faith without works is dead. Yeah. Uh, if we translate it into today's words, it's basically faith without evidence. Right. So if we're not showing uh, what Jesus did in us, there's there's no point to walk around proclaiming that we're a Christian because hmm. we're not we're not living the life. Right. Paul, it's like it's like you're me- showing the measure of your faith through your works. And it's because it's, it, it's, it's common... not even so much that what what it is is you have faith in Christ. Your faith in Christ causes an effect okay (laughs) physics every action has an equal but opposite reaction so that the first action is your faith in christ which produces a love for christ that love for christ produces an action which is i want to show my love for christ how do i show my love for christ i do what christ told me to do now for a lot of people, it stops at the love for Christ. Why? Because churches aren't teaching them what Christ wanted them to do. So a lot of churches will preach a, uh, an amazing message, but it has nothing to do with real everyday life hmm. that they can apply today. You know, there's there's a lot of theology and there's a lot of depth and there's a lot of stuff going on that people just don't understand when it's preached in, in a church. And then... Do they honestly have time to go up to the pastor and say, hey, uh, I have a question about this? No, because everybody's living a life nowadays where people are working two jobs just to survive. Yeah. So they don't have time to get clarification from a pastor. So it's the pastor's job to make sure that he's teaching them in a way that they understand so that they can apply it to their life. But they're getting stuck at the I love God, but what's next? Yeah, I love Jesus, but what's next? And there is a what's next in the scripture. What's next is go out. Mark sixteen fifteen says, "Go and give the good news to every living creature." Okay, so that's that's one. And step. I will give the evangelicals that credit is that they do that. They eh. are they are out there talking. I mean, and they, eh. maybe their delivery isn't the greatest. Eh. Like, I mean, the the people that walk around with God hates fag signs, like come on, bro, like yeah, that, that means mean, that's not that's not that's but it's not, not even true. Right. He doesn't. Exactly. He doesn't it's, hate he doesn't hate anybody. He doesn't hate people. <laughs> See, the scripture tells us that he hates sin. Yeah. He doesn't hate people. And you know what's funny about that is I met a I met a pastor. I'm not going to say names, <laughs> but I literally heard him say, "I pray for these people to be damned." What? That's what he said. He said it all the time. He said it all the time. He goes, "Listen, I know you're not going to agree with this. this." Is what he would say. But everyone has the right to their own prayer, and that's just my opinion. I pray for these scorners to go to hell. Like and that for that to me that was like what is what are, what are we doing? What's See, the point now, of this? Now what happens is when you find a person like that, uh, a, a supposed pastor, right? Okay, supposed pastor, supposed more of pastor. a Pharisee. Yes, more more of a a, a heretic, somebody yeah. who knows the truth but doesn't preach the truth. Right. Okay, so what happens is these people give Christianity a bad name, horrible name. Because that's all people are going to. So, that's all people see. So the thing is, you run into this guy. This is the first time you run into a Christian, really, because you know people who are Christian, but they never shared their faith with you. Right. So this guy shares his faith with you, 
says a comment like that. So now your image of Christianity is that. Totally tarnished. So when the next Christian comes up to you, they could be the most loving person in the world, but you're going to say, ah, I know what Christianity right. is about. Right. In the back of your head, you're thinking, he thinks that way. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's a horrible position to, to be in. Yeah, it is. Because, like, it's it's a weird situation because you we, so many people blame society for all oh, these people are, are uh, they're, they're losing their 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 interest in Christianity. And it's the, it's society's fault, it's society's fault. But really, whose fault is it? I mean, don't we should shouldn't we put some blame on the on the uh, the people, the shepherds, the ones that are guiding the faith? Like, you know, what I'm saying it's always the shepherd's fault. I'm glad you said it like that. It's always the shepherd's fault. Uh, the the thing about being a pastor, and a lot of people don't understand, is we're we're responsible for all of our failure, and we wow. are responsible for none of our success. That's a deep humility thing to say right there. Our success comes from God, and our failure comes because we chose not to follow God's path. Okay, so if if we preach to a million people and a million people are saved, to God be the glory. None to you, right? Nothing. Wow. Not at all. You know what's crazy about that is like the born again uh, ideology. It's they go out and they they get people saved, right? Yeah. Now I'm gonna I, I don't know what you feel about this. I'm just gonna tell you how I feel about this. How do you know that person? Like, let's say you walk up to me and I'm I'm just trying to get you out of my face, and you're like, oh, say these magic words, say that you believe in Jesus, like, and I say it just to, all right, fine, yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross. Bye 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 walk away and and then i walk away and i forget about it and then you walk to you go back to your church and say, i just got somebody saved today yeah glory to me yeah how do you know you don't can you all it's the it's and i and let me say one more thing real quick the parable of the sower you 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 sow your seeds and that's it you let God, like there's nothing you can do you can't make somebody like you know what i'm saying like i don't know what you feel about that uh <laughs> I guess I would say that's where baptism comes into play. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Because when a person accepts Jesus, the next step in your faith is baptism. You do those? Yes. That's cool. We did it on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, we any every we'll do it every Sunday if somebody wants to get baptized, yeah. but but um so what happens is you you get saved and God requires you to say, "Okay, show your faith." And that's where baptism comes into play. That's the first that's the first show of that's faith. so true because a person who you got saved won't do won't take that at that point it, they're gonna be like I don't know about that stuff dude I'm the, the, way I, the way I explain it is baptism is so simple it's so easy to do that if you're not willing to do it you didn't get saved got you that's why it's there yeah it's not there so that you know so what do you think about babies getting baptized no they're not saved no uh, they're they're already because they're not willing to. They're saved. Babies are saved because they're innocent. Yes. Okay. That's good. Talk about that for a second. Okay. Just run down that concept. What's what's saved? What does that mean? Saved is that you have made a personal commitment to believe in Christ, to accept Christ, to accept the gospel. Okay. A child who can't make logical decisions doesn't have the ability right. to accept Christ. So you can't baptize someone who hasn't made the decision to accept Christ or not. That's a good point. So when I was growing up, they put the age at like 12. They would say, you know, at 12 years old, you know 
whether you want to accept Christ or not, and you know That's what also, you're doing. It's also the age of the Jews get through their bar mitzvah, so it makes sense. It's like exactly. you're, you're becoming sort of a man or a woman, you know what I mean? So you're able to make your own decision on whether you're going to follow Christ or not, and that's when they would do it. Nowadays, it's different because uh, kids grow up so fast that um, we baptized my 8-year-old. Why not? Because she knows. Yeah, she's making a full, and that's that's where I think that's my opinion on that. Yeah. I think if you're if you're coherent enough to to make a decision and you yes. really believe in that decision, then yeah, well, what is the age of doing anything? You know what I mean? Exactly. But baptizing a baby, there's there's no sin in a baby, right? So the baby what, doesn't even know what sin is. So what are you <laughs> baptizing them for? Because baptism is a symbol that you're dying with Christ. You go underwater. You're buried with Christ. You come up. You're resurrected with Christ. Right. Okay, that's what the symbol is. So it's the washing away of sins, basically, in a in a symbol. Why would you do that to a child? Number one. Number two, baptism is submersion. That's literally what the word means, to be submersed. They're dropping water on a child. That's not submersion. Right. So that's not even baptism. What we do with children is what they did with Jesus and what... Jesus did when kids were brought to him. We presented the child to God. When Jesus was born at eight days, he was taken to the temple and presented to God. When Jesus was older in his ministry, they were bringing children to him. The, the apostles, while well, the disciples at the time tried to stop him. And Jesus said, let the kids come to me. And he said a prayer for the children. That's what we do. We present the children unto God. We say a prayer, ask God to watch them and help them make the right choices. Seems logical. But that's all we do. Yeah. That's and, all you can and, do. and during the the presentation, we basically ask the parents to make the coherent decision to instruct their child, to teach your child about Jesus, to teach your child about what's right and wrong, to teach your child that there is a heaven and there is a hell, and to teach their child, you know, that eventually they're going to have to make this decision on whether going they're going to accept Christ or not. So that's that's what we do at our presentation, but we don't baptize children. I I think that's very seems very logical approach to the situation. <laughs> it's um, all logical. Yeah, you know, and that and we were, we were talking right before we jump right before we hit the live button or you know the start button. We were talking about uh, how the book of Acts and the book of Timothy kind of lays out how the church should be run. Yeah. And a lot of and I mean my first time reading through that stuff, I remember thinking to myself, I don't know, I'm not, I don't notice a lot of this stuff. Like, I mean, there's even part of there's a. Uh, a verse in Timothy where it said women should uh, cover their heads when they're praying and a lot of that stuff you don't really see in churches I mean I'm not I'm, who am I to judge and make think every church should be perfect but then there's then there's big ones that people miss too yeah um well in the aspect of how churches should be run there's there's two aspects to a church the, the there's a spiritual aspect of preaching the gospel uh teaching the scripture and allowing those people to uh, learn and then go out and do God's work. And then the second aspect is helping people, which is the, the two things that the church, the original church did. It preached and it helped people. Yeah. And if we look in the, the book of Acts, there's a spot where, the apostles basically, they came up to the apostles and they were like, listen, people aren't receiving their food. You know, the widows over here aren't being tended to, but the widows over here are being tended to. And the apostles, 
bluntly said, you know, we don't have time for this. You know, we're out starting churches and we're out preaching the gospel. So yeah. so they picked seven people that the Bible says were filled with the Holy Spirit to be the first leaders of the church, which among them was Stephen, which was the first martyr. Right. He was stoned. Yes. Yep. Paul was there and watched it. Yep. yep. He was he was there. He was uh, Saul of Tarsus at the time. Yes. But, That's uh, another thing. You notice how people get renamed when they're born again. Yeah, because so, we're, we're a new creation in Christ. Right. Jacob became Israel. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, Paul, Saul became Paul. There's a lot of those. Yeah, and then um, Jesus called Peter from by Simon, and then he called him by Peter. And yeah, then, Petros and yeah, so Cephas. Yep. Yeah. So we we find these things in in the scripture, and it's sometimes difficult to apply them in churches. Yeah, the dynamic's and, not always there. And the th you said seven. What are those seven? There, it's just seven elders. Okay. And they, they, do they have different purposes, or is it just seven people just in general? Well, initially, in the, in the scripture I'm talking about, they were there to, to basically divvy up everything that was coming into the church to make sure that the people who needed were receiving. You're right. But the scripture also talks about there being, uh, I think the number was seven, seven elders that would lead the church in itself. So each church, each uh, separate church, would have seven pastors. Right, overseers. And that's one thing you notice about today. It's always there's always one head priest, priest or pastor or minister. There's one person running everything, and then there's kind of like it falls down a hierarchy after that. Yeah, and it's it's a power struggle. What's going on is because we know that there's a head of the church, which is Jesus. And, that's it. And just as there's a head of of the church is Jesus, we know that each each congregation should have a shepherd. Okay, it should have a person that is accountable to what's going on there. But the other elders were there to make sure that the church was running scripturally. Right. That, they, they make sure that that one head didn't take it in his own direction. Yes. And that, you had to make sure it's all scripture based. Yes. Got you. And those elders had the ability to to call this guy out. Right. And say, listen, you're you messed up and we're going to sit you down and yeah. we're going to fix this. And then, you know, if if you correct yourself, you can come back as the head pastor. If not, one of the other elders are just going to take over. You know, what's crazy about that is that that environment that you just mentioned is so important and vital. And we're seeing now and I'm not looking, I'm not going to knock these new churches that put their own spin on it. Like Mormons, for example, the Book of Mormon. Yeah, I mean. What are we talking? I mean, I don't. Know. I'm not gonna. And, I'm not gonna bash on people. They have their own faith, whatever. No, but they let's let's go there for a second because yeah, they, I'm they, down. they say they say the Book of Mormon is is to help the Bible, but the Bible is to help. Period. But isn't the Bible like the authority? Yeah. Why would you need a new book? Would you need? Yeah. So 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 then you got uh, the reason why I brought that up is because I use that as the prime example of like. People try to take Christianity and make it about them. Yes. They don't like how, they don't, oh, the Jews are the chosen people. We got to be the chosen people. Yeah. Oh, it's, it, it's got to be the Americans. Got to be the best. We're the, we're the real. It's all, God all loves us the most, and he's waiting for us to take us to heaven when, when the rapture comes. We're going to be the ones. And you see the same exact ideology in not just Mormon churches, but even Bible-believing churches, too. Well, I'll give you an example. The, the King James-only churches, I'm sure there's a million great ones out there. But you got some people teaching that in 1611, 
was somehow some divine year that was chosen and that that's the only word of God and every other Bible version is uh, is a counterfeit. And the, the English version that was written in 1611 by King James and his king. By the way, I did the research. There's King James had uh, a group of writers called the Kingsmen. Among them was Shakespeare and Francis Bacon and others. And they even, <laughs> they listen, they even, if you don't think this is crazy, they even, Shakespeare left his signature in the King James Bible. I'll show you right now. If you go to Psalm 46, and you have to get a 1611 version of the King James Bible. It has to be that version. All the newer ones don't have it anymore. They took it out. The 1611 King James Version of the Bible, if you go to Psalm 46, if you take 46 words from the top, the word is shake. 46 words from the bottom, the word is spear. Uh, Shakespeare was 46 years old in 1611 when the Bible was was uh, was 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 released. <laughs> if that's not enough for you that that humans created that book, then I don't know what to tell you. Well, the issue with translations, right? I personally I like the uh, New International Version. It's a great it's a um, great great version. There's the New I Living like, Translation. I, there's all kinds of I, translations. I compare them all. You see how I got all these Bibles right here. Yeah. I like I like going to the Greek, the Hebrew, then I'll check out the King James, and I'll check out the I like the, the NASB, the New yeah. American Standard. But that thing's on point, dude. I haven't well, found nothing. I haven't found no flaws with that one yet. The the but problem see, the problem with the King James version is when it was interpreted, it was more interpreted word for word. Yes, and so so, so is the New American Standard version. It's actually more but, word for word. But the issue is for anybody who speaks, you know, two or three different languages, they know you can't interpret word for right. word. It doesn't come out right. It it never comes out right. So if if they interpreted it that way, that's why when you look at the new international version, it's more, it's easier to understand one because it's using our own language, it's concept by concept. But it was a whole sentence was interpreted. Yeah, it wasn't you know this word and then and then once it's, everything's translated, they try to unjumble it. Yeah, so, and they hate the NIV, the King James only people. They hate the NIV. They throw. They're so against the NIV. It's like who cares? Yeah, it's not a they big all, deal. They all say the same thing. Yep. They all have the same prophets. They all have the same sixty-six books. The same twelve major prophets. The same minor prophets. They had the same pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. The yep. same four gospels. The same message that he died on the cross and returned in three days. That's all there. So why are we arguing over over a little little? Oh, this one says this. Because that's one what says we that. do, man. That's what the church does. And that's screwing people up, dude. It's screwing people up, and it's making people think that somehow they're the English people, English speaking people in America and the West are the chosen people, and like this is their well, the rapture is all going to be for them, and they're all going to be put <laughs> on the throne, and they're all going to sit in the clouds waiting for everyone else, and they're going to say, "Ha ha, I told you, we were right." Well, the, the the thing was with the chosen people, the the reason why the Jewish people were chosen was. For them to learn and to teach other people about God. Yeah. They didn't do it. They held it to themselves. Yeah. So when Jesus came, he taught to the Jewish people and he taught to the Gentiles. And then when Jesus ascended and he had his apostles, we had Peter who was teaching to the Jewish people, but we had Paul who was teaching to the Gentiles. Right. Every single person who's not Jewish is a Gentile, just yes. so everybody knows. That's what that means, yeah. <laughs> so... Every single person, basically, who accepts Christ is a part of the chosen people. Yeah. And that's that's what I was yeah, talking about on the, Sunday. Like, every single person, that's why I don't I don't like that the Catholic Church uses the word saints for these special people. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Because Scripture calls every person who believes a saint. Right, exactly. 
There is no hierarchy in Christianity. Yeah. The Bible itself says that God has no exceptions of people. Right. That every single person is the same. That even in the church, the, the beginning churches, you would see that uh, a person had a slave, but in the in the church, that slave was the pastor of the church. Right. But outside of the church, that person was the slave of the guy. Right. So there, there's no could, exceptions. And you could even say that the Jews were chosen to be the vine to produce the Messiah. Yeah. So and then after the Messiah came, he came for the world. Yeah. So it's like you got the the concept that's in Revelation about the bride, about the, the you know the the second death and then the the raising up and then the marriage between the 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 um the people who accepted you know what I'm saying the the bride of Christ is which means is the Christians is the people that accepted the uh you know see the 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 most famous verse in the Bible John three sixteen yeah everyone knows for God so loved the world. It doesn't say for God so loved the Jews. Right. It doesn't say for doesn't God say so loved America. He hates the world. America. You hear that too. All these yeah. pastors are like, God hates the world. Yeah. If you like the world, then you, and there's there are some verses well, that. Well, <laughs> that's that's a terminology thing. Yes. Yeah. The world is. Uh, what? Uh, how do I put this? The, when we say the world, we say the sinful world. Right. God hates sin. Okay, the things of the world. If we there is a verse that says we are not of the world. We do not practice the things of the world, being the sinful things of the world. Yeah. So when we when we speak about the world, yes, that that technically that is correct. God is God is not a part of the the sinful world. Right, right, right. But when he says it in John 3:16, he's talking about the people. For God right. so loved the world, he loved everybody, and because he loved everybody, he came to save everybody. There we go. That's exactly what I was getting at. Yeah. So and, and and anybody who who comes out and says that that God has a special uh person and they're they're just wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's crazy? I was thinking about how hard it's got to be to be a, just in 2021 to be a pastor in a world that's changing so much to stick to the biblical teachings and and not veer off and stray off and and be and and like make your own thing and like you know let's just change it up a little bit just to, to let's get with the times a little bit because that's got to be tough. It's got to be even you got to be some tempted a little bit to be like, well, I want to I want to be a little politically correct, right? That's got to be tough. It's got to be a struggle going on right there. Well, there is a little bit of a struggle with trying to be somewhat politically correct, but when I this is my personal yeah, that's what this and. When I look at Jesus, Jesus was so far from politically correct. Right. And That's a fact. Piss a lot of people <laughs> off. Piss so many people <laughs> off. I mean, he called the Pharisees when he when he went into the temple and he he picked up a whip and started whipping people. Drove them out. And he, the money changes. What did he, what did he the call temple? them? Oh, you brood of vipers. Sons of vipers. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have a saying like that. Yeah. And if any pastor ever said that saying. They would be shunned. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But and it's crazy because what were they doing? They were money changing in the temple. And we're, we're talking about pastors that keep the money and use, as, use the church as a family business and not as an actual place of salvation. But I'll tell you what's the most difficult part of where I'm at right now is taking the church back to what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, because you say it's got to be hard to remain the same. And I've been in this forever. And I can tell you the same is wrong. 
And when I look at it and I, I look at scripture and I look at where the church is supposed to be and what the church is supposed to teach and what the church is supposed to project. And then I look at all these churches and I look at what I was taught. Right. Okay. Let me tell you, I, I, if there's anybody in that, you know, has experience in this, it's me. I've been the past 31 years. I've been raised in the gospel. Yeah, you grew up in it. Okay. My, my father was a pastor. I was a teacher in the Institute of Theology. Wow. I was the director of ministry school for, for this area of the, of our council. You know, it was my job to teach these doctrinal things to the next pastor or to people who were already pastoring. I had to teach them what was the right way to do things. Yeah. But I look at scripture and then I look at my syllabus of what I'm supposed to teach. And I'm just like, uh, what am I teaching here? Am I teaching your ways or am I teaching scriptural ways? Wow. Am I teaching how you guys want the church to be run? Or am I teaching how the church is supposed to be run? Wow. And obviously, I always fall back on the scripture. You have to. Because. That's all you got. That's always my argument. Because, I, I mean, if <laughs> I've been yelled at, I've been, you know, they've tried to take me out of being a pastor they try wow, i didn't know that they listen i've had my fights as a pastor yeah against my, the establishment of like against the establishment of of what church is supposed to be for the past wow. 50 100 years wow right so my argument with everybody be be them another pastor who doesn't like what i'm preaching or be it a a supervisoral person or whatever i look at these people when i tell them and they don't like it when i tell them because i i try to be like jesus blunt honest if you don't like it that's your problem and i tell them here's my bible point out to me in the bible what i said wrong show me where i screwed up how can you argue that and i'll walk away right now right are you that's that's crazy because that's you really are doing something that most people won't do because why, what do you get out of it? I mean, you know what you're getting out of it, but most people are like, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to keep my spot. I want to keep everything going smoothly. Here, give me the paper. I'll read it. Yeah. And you're like, dude, this isn't what my book says. This is one, this yeah. isn't what my scripture says. I want to do what's, what God, like you, and, I, and, and let me correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, before you before you go into your service, do you like kind of meditate on what you're going to say a little bit? Of course, kind of get a message, receive the message from above, and then give it out. Yeah, and it's like you know, that's deep. We we look around and we we try to figure out what the message is, and and the problem with preaching and teaching today is people preach and teach feeling. Wow, that's so true. And they have feel good messages like like Joel Osteen, like you're going to be great. And, and you know, God wants you to be rich. And, <laughs> Never does it say and, that. And anywhere. it's like, and okay, you can preach that. And yeah, God wants you to be happy and prosperous, but, but it literally says, it literally says it's easier for, what does it say? For the camel to go through the eye of an eagle, the needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. <laughs> Sorry, Joel. Joel I don't know if you're right about that, dude, but <laughs> But That's the, crazy, the though. The thing is, people preach these feel-good messages, and they have a church full of people that, in the end, can all go to hell because they don't know the way. See, Scripture says, 
the the way to perdition is wide and the door is humongous but the way to heaven is a, a narrow path Follow the with, narrow with a small door yep which means you're not going to get through that door with all your baggage and all that stuff right that's got to go you got to be able to leave things in the hands of God and say you know what I'm going to follow you and if if this isn't in my path uh help me to accept that it's not in my wow. path. So back to what your struggle with the church is. Are you oh, kind of in sorry? Are you, so many struggles. Are, are you kind of in a transition phase right now? Like uh yeah, we're uh our church took a vote to leave the uh the council that we're a part of. Wow. And we're we're in like a negotiation phase because they obviously don't want us to leave. Um but we just feel like you stand up for what's right. The the vision is taking us this way, the the scriptural vision, and they they have us going this way a little bit. And it, it's not that we're anti biblical following their way. It's just we're trying to be as as close to what not the apostolic church, because the apostolic church was messed up, but as close to what the apostolic church was was calling to be. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Because, like, if you read Corinthians, that that's part of the apostolic church. That was, you know, lifted up by the apostles. And they were all messed up, and they didn't want to accept things. But if we take those scriptures and we apply them to uh, to today and to what the church is supposed to be, that's what we're trying to be. Right. You know, a lot of people put requirements for certain things. There, There's no requirements in the gospel. You know, Oh, you want to be a member of this church? You got to do this and this and this and that. Right. But, and and my argument is, okay, you know, so I'm good enough to go to heaven, but I'm not good enough to be a member of your church. Wow. I never thought about that. <laughs> you know, Christ accepts me the second that I accept him. Right. Basically. He's already accepted me. He's just waiting for me to say, I want you. Yeah. And the second I say that, I have salvation. You know what's crazy is that that's what I was trying to get at basically this whole time is I'm noticing that these churches that think that their way is the only way they try they're trying to set up these hierarchies of what's there's levels of salvation like there's not just one there's just one you're saved or you're not yeah there's no like oh well he knew the he knew the King James Bible the best so he's gonna be he's gonna be sitting right next to Jesus when we're all in heaven he's gonna be in his well, right hand man it's like. <laughs> I mean, there are disciples and there are people who do more than others and probably will have that re respect. The, but it's like the, the, end the, the thing is. We focus they focus on uh, wanting different things in heaven. I just want to get there. You know, yeah, I just want everybody to you get got there. eternity. Once let, you get there, you got eternity to straighten everything else out. Let, let just, me, just let me get tell there. you the way I see it. Because the scripture says that for different things, there are different crowns that you can receive. There's like seven different crowns, hmm. but there's one crown for salvation. That's it. That's which it. the, which is all the all it's, the crown I want. It's the only crown you should really want because yeah. that's eternity. That's all I care about. <laughs> it's, it's, is getting there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everything else you have you have eternal time to get there. And the problem is, there's people that are so messed up in in the church that the Bible even speaks to it. And it says that there's going to be people that, that when they go to, as, as we call it today, the pearly gates to try to get in, 
They're going to say, oh, I, I did all these things yeah, in your name. And I did this. Say, I, I did know that. You not. And he says, I don't even know you. I ne- No, he says, apart from me, I never knew never you. Never knew you. Which means you never had a relationship with God. Right. All, everything you did, God worked through you because somebody needed help. Right. Not because you were so close to God. Right. And I see a lot of that going on right now. Yep. These people who act like they have, they're the ones that, and it's like, it's the same people that constantly say things and get checked on it and then have to cover it up. Like, oh, I, I prophesy, I prophesize that Donald Trump will be elected president and he will, he will get the second term. Yeah. Joe Biden don't need to be president. And just like this, just like if you'd answered me, he said he won't. Let's say without question, Trump is going to win the election. You said this one that I shall raise up from New York. I will give him two terms. Associated Press said that Joe Biden is president. Ha! sound of abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of shouting and singing. I hear a sound of victory. Trump is going to get in the White House. I believe that 1,000%. I don't have one bit of a doubt. I don't have basketball-sized ulcers. I'm not chewing my fingernails to the quick. I'm not going to go to bed tonight and lose one ounce or a wink of sleep. President Trump won. He will be re-elected and inaugurated for a second term, 100%. Joe Biden did not win. Donald Trump single-handed won the largest margin victory in the United States of America. Are, are you saying that all of this is culminating in, and I want, I'm, I'm, I'm going to press you on this, Chris, in Donald Trump getting his second term of presidency? It has to, yes. That's what I hear. Yes. I'm not going to trust in what I see and what I hear. I'm going to trust in what God said. There's got to be a restoration of trusting God and his prophets. And so I see a lot of prophets are peeling off left and right saying, okay, we've lost it. I apologize. I am not apologizing. Donald J. Trump will be uh, serve a second term. I believe that Trump's going to be president. I God didn't give me a prophetic word that he would, but I believe the prophets. I dreamed that Donald Trump got reelected. That's no guessing games. He is the one that God's going to put his hands on. I get letters um, all the time about, you know, you missed your prediction on Trump. He didn't win. Where is your faith? Where are the people believing the prophets? Well, I believe the prophets. I, I, I am looking with great anticipation for President Trump to get serve a second term and go down as one of the greatest pastors. There was a video. They showed 500 pastors saying that. All of them are wrong. <laughs> There's not one pastor saying that they thought, hey, I got a prophecy from God saying Joe Biden's going to win. None of them said that. Yep. So it's like have some humility and realize we're, you're human too. Like don't – and then – and then you got the ones that are like sure they know when doomsday is going to come. They know it. They have it. They figured Which, it out. The mathematical equation for it. I got it down. And then there's a verse in Matthew that says, "Not anybody will know except the Father when not, that day is going to come." Not even the angels. Right. It says. Yeah. Not even the angels that are up there with him know when that's going to happen. Know when it's going to happen. But then you got a pastor in Amherst that think that says, I, "Oh no, I figured it out. I, I got <laughs> I got the math right here." And if you don't, if you don't, if you, and you're the crazy one for not uh, believing that, you know, and the reason why it's not like that is because if you knew the day that Christ was going to return for the church, not, not, 
his second coming, but the rapture, because that's two different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, if you knew the day, would you not live your life to the fullest, do all kinds of wild stuff, and then the day before be like, or the day of, be like, you know, oh, I accept you. <laughs> that, that's exactly why we don't know. Ex- that's exactly why we don't know, because <laughs> man is so screwed up that our human nature is to do stupidity things, just right. stupid things. And <laughs> that's that's how God reconciled that one. He's, yeah, that's just one of the ma- many examples of things I see in modern some of these modern places. And it's like it's very rare to come across a like pastor like yourself that's generally just wants to follow the Bible. That's it. it has no ulterior motives. I just want to follow what the Scripture says, and I want to lead people to salvation. That's it. I have nothing else that I want to do. And the, the, it's sad that it is true. Yeah. But for me personally, the goal is just getting the message out there and letting people decide for themselves. And hopefully the day comes where they can open up their eyes and be like, you know what? There is a God. And and they can look back and see all the moments that God was there for them. Because even when you're not walking with God, God's always really there. And there's moments where you can look back and be like, I didn't even notice him, but he was there. And I just try to bring people to a point of realization to where they can accept that there is a God. And even if even if science is supposedly telling them that there isn't, let's be logical about it. If there is no God and you live your whole life in the Christian faith, what do you lose? Nothing. But if there is a God and you refuse to accept him, what do you lose? Your life, your eternity. Everything. Everything, yeah. It's almost, yeah, it's like kind of like a, I mean, and, and and the funny thing about Christianity, they don't ask you for much. No. They literally just ask you just to. That, that's the thing. Churches ask you for a lot. Yes, yes. I want to make that distinction very clear. But the, the, church Bible, will ask you... the Bible is really clear that all you need to get to heaven is to believe. That's it. Just have faith. That's it. And, and I'm not saying, like, know that there's a God. I mean, like, believe, like, put your faith in him. Because the scripture says, I think it's in the book of James or Judas, one of those. And it says, you know, even the demons believe and fear him. It is James. James. Yeah, I, yeah. I, was, I love that book. So That book is written so beautifully. It's like... It's like, a brother of Jesus. Yeah, that's like the deepest <laughs> Christian philosophy you're ever going to read. It's you like, you G- know he didn't believe in him. Yeah, I heard and about that. The, and too. then at the end, he came. It he wasn't came until too. he came back, right? Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was like he was because because that's how you are with your brothers, of course. Like if my brother was like on the Messiah, I'd be like, You'd be like <laughs> "Shut yeah. up, asshole!" Yeah, I know you. <laughs> I I've known yeah. you the whole time. And then I see him come back from the dead. I'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, I, I got, got you. you. I'm gonna write a book now." Yep. <laughs> so, but but James though he is such a short book. It's a couple pages long. But it has so much. Packed. It's packed, yes. It, it even tells you how to pray, and yeah. it tells you, like, if you don't get what you prayed for, it tells you why you didn't get what you prayed for. Yeah. You know, it's Because you're not, it's not what you need. It's you not, can't pray for a million dollars. You don't need a million dollars. You're not going to get that. If you, pray, says, if you like, pray for something that God actually agrees that you need, you'll get it. And he says if you if you need it and you didn't get it, it's because you didn't pray the right way. Yep. It's so simple. He's like, because you didn't ask the correct way. Right. With that humility, that humble attitude. That Exactly. You know, a coming... lot of people come to Christ like, hey, 
what's up? You know, what's yeah. up, God? Uh, what's up, buddy? I need this today. It's <laughs> like, no, this guy's the creator of the universe. Yeah, yeah. Have some humility. And okay. Stand. Yes, he's your father. Yes, he wants to have a relationship. But yes, he deserves all the respect. Yeah, he's a source of all energy, all light, all love. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, Dude, yeah, it's just, there's so much, it's such a deep concept, though, if you think about it, because it. Like, uh, there's a philosopher slash psychologist out there. His name's Dr. Jordan Peterson. I guess he's Catholic. I think I don't know what I think he, I is. Know who he is. Yeah, and he 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 goes in depth about the psychology behind the Bible. That's his main focus. Yeah, and the stuff that he writes about, and he gets he gets his ideas sort of from Jung and Nietzsche and all them, but he puts his own spin on it. And um, he talks about how Christianity. Is the is the is the was the driving force in the West that pushed the needle forward, progressed society into the direction that caused all the modern advancements and all the medical advancements and all all the success of the West is due to Christian Christian ideo- ideology and and um. I mean, look at the most basic thing: the printing press. Yeah, that was because of the Bible. Because they wanted to make more Bibles. Yeah, yeah, and like, and that's just one little example. And he he talks about how. Over generation to generation to generation from reading these stories and and and, and, and uh, teaching this stuff and learning this stuff and passing it on from generation to generation for centuries, it became embedded in our psyche so that when we're born, it's already part of our um, our ba- our being. Basically, yeah. it's just it's what we do. We, it's what we know. It becomes instinct. Yeah. Like, you're born with Christian values. Yeah, I mean, even in school, they they try to shun Christianity in school, but, I mean, what do they teach the kids? The golden rule, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. And and what's Jesus' golden rule? It's love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's the golden rule, yep. (laughs) You know, there's so many things that that we find around the world that are 100% Christianity. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to is, like, um, that's what the whole book is about, man. It's like, if you, if you look at the Bible as a, no, let's say you want to look at it like a novel. Okay. Let's, let's do that for a second. It starts off. Man is created. Mankind is created. Uh, we're flawed. So all these prophets get sent and they're telling people, get ready. Messiah is going to come and everything will be revealed and everyone will be saved. Get ready. They're pointing to him for thousands of years. They're t- still talking about him. New prophets, hundred years later, another prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these prophets. And then yep. finally, he comes. And the the they they the the three wise men they see a star in the east and they travel. Yep. And the whole world's waiting for this baby. And he comes and rate he he's raised up and he tells you, listen, we're flawed. And all these laws that Moses gave us, these are all good laws. I'm not gonna I'm not here to rewrite them. I'm here to fulfill them, and I'm here to tell you that you're not gonna do it. You're you're gonna fail. Just have faith though, and believe in me, and you will have eternal life. Well, and it's such a beautiful concept to say, look, we don't worry about that. You're fine. Just believe in me. Like I say, I will save you. Well, if you look if you look at every single book in the Bible, they all have the same basic theme: the redemption of man. Yep. That that. We will be bought back, basically. To be redeemed is to to be bought back. Right, yeah. That we are in the hands of the enemy because we made the decision to to follow something that isn't God. Our own our own our own decisions, our own choices. Yeah. But you know, all these all these different prophets, everybody who who came 
out and was speaking. It was just, it was just trying to show us, like you said, how flawed we are. We try to, as preachers, paint a picture of, of these heroes of the Bible that were just so amazing. But when you look in depth, if you actually read the stories of the heroes of the faith, like they were messed up people. Yeah. Messed up people. And even the apostle Paul wrote what? 13 out of the 26 new Testament books, Yeah, new Testament books. That man, he he was a murderer. He was, he came out and after he converted to Christ, he said, even when I want to do good, I do bad. Yeah. He's like, I'm a screw up. It's the whole point. Is that who it's we're human. So don't get down on yourself and think that, oh, that Christianity won't accept me because of who I am or what I do. Forget all that. If if you look at there's like over six hundred laws in the six hundred and thirteen laws. Okay, six hundred and thirteen laws. When Jesus came, he made it more difficult to live. In in the law of Moses, if you committed adultery, which was, you know, a, a married man was with somebody else or a married woman was with somebody yes. else. That was adultery. Right. Jesus came and said, if you even look at them in that way, right. you committed adultery. So Jesus made it more difficult because he just wanted us to understand one thing. We can't make it without him. Right. That if you go to heaven, it's because you relied on him. Right. So I'm going to make it to heaven because I rely on him. Yeah. I'm flawed. I'm a screw up. I know I'm a screw up. I do stupid stuff. Even when I don't want to do stupid stuff, sometimes it just happens. Right. But even with all that, I understand that my salvation isn't based on me. My salvation is based on him. Because if my salvation was based on me, I wouldn't need him. Wow. That's all it comes down to. Exactly. And there's no way to get to heaven without him. So you need him to get to heaven. Your works can't get you to heaven. Right. Your faith gets you to heaven. Right. Your sin doesn't stop you from getting to heaven. Right. Because when Jesus died on the and cross, that's the big point too. He died for all sin. And you know what's crazy is the people that were next to him, there was one yeah. guy who was doubting him saying, "Oh, you're the Messiah. Let's see, yeah. you, let's see you do get a magic trick." Down. And then he was like, "Okay." And then the other guy said, "Dude, we're 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 killers. We're we're rapists." We're on the cross because we bad deserve dudes, it. Yeah. This dude's innocent, and you're trying to you're trying to get. He said, and "You looked at the guy and said, you know what? You're coming with me.' Yeah, Just he, for but, that one thing that he but did. Before that, what, and before what, that, he told him. He said, "When you're in your kingdom, remember me." It was what, you're right. You're it right, was right. an acknowledgement of Jesus. Yes, of who he is. He took that extra step of faith. So the yes, second he said point. that. That was he it. accepted who he was. Didn't matter what he did before that. Exactly. He was on his sentence of yep. death. He yep. was about to die for all the horrible things he did. And all he did was say those couple words. Yep. And that was it. And, and because it he said that, Jesus told him, he said, you're going to be with me today and in that, paradise. And that means that literally means that no matter who you are, yes. you're, 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 uh, you're welcome for eternal life. Like that's, that's Paul, the message. Paul, before he became a Christian murdered Christians. He killed Christians. Yeah. And God worked with that. Right. And he used him as like the the biggest the, uh, the, creator the, of the Bible basically. The biggest <laughs> the biggest speaker of the word. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, if God uses a murderer or he uses a tax collector who were all thieves, right. like Matthew. Matthew, yeah. Yep. So, and, if he used them, who are we? I mean, yeah. 
And the last, uh, it's, we're already a little bit over, but I just wanted to real quick. And the, another thing that fascinates me about the Bible is that all the Old Testament prophets have a little piece of what's to come. Like uh, Noah, Noah, um, he his story of going into the ark and then coming out a new person. That's like a little prophecy of being born again and have and taking accepting that second birth when he left the ark. You know what I'm saying? Or you got uh, Elijah, the way the you know he carried himself and he 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 was um he rose people from the dead and he yep. you know did all these miracles and all and then G- uh, jo- Joseph's probably the biggest one. Joseph had twelve eleven brothers and they sold him down to Egypt rejected and he got him. rejected and then when when he got put on the the basically the throne in Egypt when he yeah. became like the second highest next to the pharaoh and then he redeemed them and re- and then he uh um he forgave them yep and there was like that was a little there was a, it's a little it, it was it's a, like it's a portrait of these are all little portraits of Jesus all these yeah. all these old testament stories are little portraits Abraham is about to give was was told to sacrifice his only son or his uh yeah his son yeah, his son his yeah yeah and he and there was a portrait like that that the whole the whole purpose of the old testament is to paint these little portraits of what's going to come when the messiah is here yes and that is so deep and beautiful to think about that that all these thousands of years and centuries of different people writing adding to the bible Ezra Nehemiah Habakkuk all these different little prophets a little two page some of these little short prophets yep and they all paint the little portraits and they're like little puzzle pieces and you put them all together and you get Jesus. Yep. Just a fascinating concept. And, he, and he, it's all about mending the relationship. That's all it was. Yep. Trying to mend a relationship that, that was broken in the garden of Eden. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it all, it's exactly the, the foreshadowing. I mean, it's like, it's like the greatest novel writers of all time combined into one, like the, yep. the, just, just from a liter- literature aspect of it, it's fascinating and it's it's crazy. It's Number one selling book since mind blowing. It, since it started printing, and it should be, it should be. Everyone should at least read it once in their lifetime. I mean, chip away at it t- however long yeah. it takes you. But like I'm telling you, it's something. There's something something special about it. You know, yeah. it's 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 amazing. And for people not to accept Christ, I understand sometimes things seem a little far fetched, but. Like I said, it's it's logical. It, it just makes sense. It's what do you got to lose? What do you have to lose? Yeah, I agree. Take some time, look into it, and yeah. then make your decision. Yeah, that's 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 what it comes down to, you know. Because all he wants is to love you, and have a relationship with you, and that one day we can be where he is. That's all he wants. But he doesn't want it on our terms. He wants it the way it was intended to be. That's it. Man, that was a good, uh, we're like 10 minutes over almost. <laughs> so, yeah, that flew by, man. And anything you want to promote or, you know, any links you wanted to show everybody or? Uh, no, I mean, I I appreciate, you know, you having me on. And, it's been a pleasure, man. Uh, just so everybody knows, I'm the senior pastor at uh, Encounter with God Ministries. We got a new name. That's a good name, too. It's so, a great name, by the way. Yeah. And that's a result of you kind of branching off and be, becoming more Bible-based? Yep, and it's because uh, in like 1995 when my father started a, a one-hour radio show, that's what they called it. Wow, that's Encounter a Encounter with God. 
Wow. It's a good idea. So we're we're all full circle back to it. That's cool, man. But uh yeah, man, this was great and uh we're definitely gonna have you back on you know, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Let's do this let's do this on a regular basis. I I, I enjoy this. Yeah, if you ever have any questions, I mean I'm no <laughs> theologian, I'm no theological es- expert, but you know You got it down though. You know what you're talking about. I'm here to help. Yeah. And if I don't know, I'll get the answer for you. Exactly. So um, why, why don't we end on a prayer then? All right. Father God, we come before you in this moment. We thank you for this time that you have given us. We ask that this podcast can reach a lot of people, Lord. We ask that your word can reach the hearts and minds and that you can cause the effect. That we plant this seed and that you can continue to water it. I ask that you bless my friend here, Neil, that you give him all the strength to continue going on forward and that he can do your will in his life. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you guys know later. that? Yeah, look. The ancient Jews used Hebrews in the numerical system. Eh? Each letter is a number. Like the Hebrew A, Aleph, it's one. B, Bet, it's two. You understand? But look at this. The numbers are interrelated. Like, take the Hebrew word for father. Av, Aleph, Bet. One, two, equals three. All right? Hebrew word for mother, aim, aleph, mem, 140 equals 41. Sum of three and 41, 44. All right? Now, Hebrew word for child, all right? Mother, father, child, yelling. It's 10, 30, and 4. 44. Torah is just a long string of numbers. Some say that it's a code sent to us from God. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's just kid stuff. Check this out, okay? The word for the Garden of Eden, Kedem. Numerical translation, 144. Now, the value of tree of knowledge, all right, in the garden, right? Eitz Hachayim, 233. 144, 233. Now, you can those take those numbers. numbers. So, the... You know, like the Fibonacci sequence? Fibonacci. Fibonacci is um, an Italian mathematician in the 13th century. If you divide 144 into 233, the result approaches um, theta. Theta? Theta. Greek symbol for golden ratio, golden spiral. Wow. I never saw that before. That's like that series you find in nature? Like the face of a sunflower? Wherever the spirals. You see this math everywhere. 